Hey everyone, Drew Prode here, host of the Broken Brain Podcast. Before we get into today's interview, I want to start off with two important things. Number one, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening to this podcast, for sharing it with friends. It means the world. Our listenership has grown tremendously in the last few months, and that wouldn't be possible without all of you who have left reviews, who have shared this episode and posted on social media. So thank you so much for that. Number two, I want to give you a little bit of a preview of what we're talking about today with my dear friend, Robin Burson, founder of Parsley Health, CEO, amazing physician, uh, just full heads up. We've had Robin on the podcast before to talk about a completely different subject, but I've mentioned in that episode that I'm an investor in Robin's company, Parsley Health. They're bringing functional medicine out to the masses through their model. They have clinics in New York, San Francisco, and in LA. And very exciting news, they now have a telemedicine option that they're venturing into. I'm all about accessibility. I'm all about reducing the cost of functional medicine. And I think Robin is doing some great stuff. That's why I was happy to invest early on. She's truly a pioneer. But I just want everybody to know transparently that I am involved in the company. On the subject of what we're getting into in today's episode with Robin, many listeners of this podcast know that when I was younger, specifically in high school, I suffered tremendously with really, really bad acne that also left some damage on my skin. I still have a little bit of scar tissue left over from it. Um, and Robin has her own story of suffering from adult acne. She had perfect skin when she was younger. And then later on in life, through very stressful situations and being in medical school, developed acne. So I asked Robin if we could take this topic, which many of our listeners have asked about acne and really break it down and talk about what the root causes are that can contribute to having acne both when we're younger and also when we're older. I think you're going to really enjoy this topic. And even if you don't have acne and you just want better skin, this episode is for you. Share it with friends. It would mean the world. Now on to my formal intro for Dr. Robin Burson. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast, where we dive deep into the topics of neuroplasticity, epigenetics, mindfulness, functional medicine, and mindset. I'm your host, Drew Perot, and each week my team and I bring on a new guest who we think can help you improve your brain health, feel better, and live more. This week's guest is my friend, physician and entrepreneur, Dr. Robin Burson. Dr. Burson is the founder and CEO of Parsley Health, a totally new approach to primary care medicine. Parsley Health combines modern medicine and smart technology with a functional whole body approach to get to the root cause of what's wrong with the patient rather than just treating symptoms. Amazingly and a little unfortunately, Robin is one of 2% of companies that are female founded and led that have successfully raised venture capital in the past year. Congratulations. Parsley has offices in New York, San Francisco, and LA, and just recently raised a Series B of $26 million, bringing functional medicine to the world of telemedicine. And by the way, I'm proud to be an investor and a supporter of Parsley Health and this new approach. When Dr. Burson is not at Parsley, you can find her at her home in Brooklyn, uh, hanging out with her husband, son, and two rescue dogs or her favorite vinyasa yoga class, Dr. Robin Burson. Welcome back to the Broken Brain Podcast. So good to be back. Um, exciting to have you here. And anybody who missed our first interview, you can always go back and check it out. This one, I'm super excited to dive into because 
when we were chatting and I was saying, you know, I really want you back on the podcast. Let's go into a different subject. Uh, we had this idea of talking about this very personal story that you went through of skin. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your skin story for our listeners that aren't familiar. So I was one of the lucky ones in high school who never had acne and, you know, kind of felt like I'd exited that age, teenage years unscathed. And then I hit medical school uh, and everything unfortunately changed. So early in medical school, so I was around, how old was I at this point? Like 25 um, because I went to med school a little late. I went to undergrad and then I worked for a little while. I went back to to school to do my pre-med studies. And so I landed medical school ready to go. And over the course of the first year, I developed really horrible cystic acne. And it was super confusing to me. Like, where did this come from? I was seeing dermatologists. We tried the birth control pill. Uh, we tried spironolactone, which is a heart medication, a heart failure medication, and blood pressure medication whose uh, secondary effect has been discovered to uh, block certain male hormones, to block acne. We tried that. I had peels. I had creams. I had makeups. I had products. I had tanning beds. I even at one point had a dermatologist who was injecting my zits with cortisone, right. so a steroid, to get them to go away. And that was a really bad idea because when you use steroids on your face, especially in an injectable format, uh, it actually leads to scarring. And so- I'm very familiar. I have a little bit of scar tissue still left over from uh, bad acne and those experiences, but right. please continue. Yeah. So you've been there and a lot of us has been there. I never, I never ended up on Accutane. Eventually- uh, I do credit the spironolactone with kind of shutting things down temporarily, but it really didn't fix the problem. And it was through learning about functional medicine that I learned where the acne came from and I was ultimately able to completely resolve it without any medications, peels, creams, et cetera. And that was such an amazing experience. Yeah, I want to unpack that because this is a topic that so many people have asked us to dive into um, and I can relate to the story. Mine is reverse. I had really bad acne when I was in high school. Okay. And I want you to talk about how acne is different for men and women. Mine was pretty straightforward. I figured out that I had food sensitivities to dairy and also to wheat. And around my senior year, all the way at the end, literally like right after prom, I was in Los Angeles for a conference and somebody said, oh, uh, this lecture that I was at, Sometimes dairy can be inflammatory for some people if they have gut issues, if they were on antibiotics. And they said, why don't you try to go dairy-free? It's like my first version of hearing from the elimination diet. So I went dairy-free for like two months, cut out also wheat as well and minimized my sugar and my acne completely cleared up. And I haven't had, you know, a flare up since that time. So I can relate, but also I can imagine it's so much tougher dealing with it as an adult because you were like my skin is amazing when i was younger and now all of a sudden it's challenging so what did you find out and help us get a little bit of the lay of the land what did you discover are some of the root causes that are there that could trigger an adult acne or cystic acne yeah so there's there's quite a few of them and you and i actually have a lot in common because wheat and dairy ended up being kind of at the core of my experience um, and clearing up my acne ultimately. But it was 
First of all, there's a lot of misinformation out there that hormones cause acne. And I see this all the time. I see women told, it's your hormones, it's your hormones. And the reality is that oftentimes it's really not true. Uh, you can get breakouts before your period because of shifts in the balance between t- testosterone and progesterone. And so people who are already acne prone may get that sort of pre-period breakup, uh, breakout. You also can see uh, what I call post-birth control pill syndrome, where after going off the pill, as the female body is resetting its hormones, going back to its natural menstrual cycle, which has been suppressed for however long we're on the pill, um, you can start to see breakouts in somebody acne prone. And the reality is, though, for a lot of these people for whom we blame hormones for acne, the underlying cause isn't their hormones at all. And if you think about it, it doesn't make a ton of sense because there's plenty of people who have the same hormones who aren't getting acne. So the question is why? What's the underlying driver? And so there's a couple of things that we see driving acne and breakouts in general that really go missed. So number one is food sensitivity. So I had eaten wheat and dairy my entire life growing up. Uh, wasn't a necessarily like a, a health. We were a healthy-ish household, but we weren't like health foods focused. I mean, I think about like, you know, goldfish and Twizzlers as being my like after school snack um, like growing up. Um, and so I wasn't necessarily aware of these things. And I had no idea that you can become sensitive to a food later in life. And that was a huge aha moment because we think, oh, you're either allergic to something or you're not. But these food sensitivities can really develop. And for me, the food sensitivities had developed in that first year of medical school in a period of high stress. So when you are under chronic stress and very high chronic stress, psychological stress, you actually break down the barrier in the gut. So you can break down the zonulin proteins that hold the cells that line the gut together, and you can get something called intestinal permeability, and you can end up developing allergies to some of the foods that you're commonly eating that you didn't used to have because all of a sudden when that gut barrier breaks down, your immune system, 70% of which is right behind that gut lining living in your gut, is suddenly exposed to things that it didn't used to see. And you can develop some of these food sensitivities. And so when I go back in a patient's history and I ask, well, when did this acne start? You know, you didn't have acne your whole life. Um, maybe you developed it in your teenage years. Maybe you developed it, in my case, in your 20s or as an adult. What was happening around that time? And oftentimes there's, there's, a, there's a trigger. Um, it could be a surgery um, for some people, it was an accident or or the loss of someone close to them. A major breakup. A major breakup. Stressful. I was in that mode. I was going through a really bad breakup, uh, transitioning to medical school, uh, you know, having all of those jitters of like, oh my God, the next seven years of my life are here. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, but didn't recognize the impact of that stress. And in that time, developed food sensitivities that ultimately became the underlying cause of my acne. And so the reason that the pills and the prescriptions and the topicals and the antibacterials didn't work and the steroid injections certainly didn't work was because of the inflammatory root of the acne was coming from the inside. And that's what drives me nuts about dermatology in general is that we're kind of told this myth that, oh, you can fix it from the outside. Mm -hmm. When generally speaking, you have to fix it from the inside. So 
Going back to the couple of things that we see really commonly driving acne. One, uh, you see food sensitivities and then dairy and wheat are the two most common that we see, but there can be other ones. Eggs, soy, for some people, nightshade vegetables. So doing these elimination diets, and here's the here's the kicker. People say, well, I cut that out. And I say, well, how long did you cut it out for? And they're like, oh, a week or two. Well, it takes at least three weeks for the antibodies, meaning your inflammatory reaction to kind of shut down. So if you're kind of sort of eliminating a food or you're only doing it for a week or two, you're not going to see that acne clear up. And you mentioned you cut out dairy for two months. And I, in my case, when I cut out wheat and dairy, I really didn't see the benefits until about week six. And that's when all of a sudden everything went away. And now... If I really want that pizza, like, hey, I just have to decide it's zit worthy because I know what's going to happen, but at least I'm in control. It's so true. And also those foods, besides the fact that sometimes our intestinal permeability can increase, which makes us more susceptible from the time that you and I were younger, right? Not that we're that old right now, but food has also changed a lot too. The The dairy can have... Uh, the dairy has changed. The the wheat has changed. Even like growing up, we used to get like eggs from our local farmer's market. And then I never thought that my eggs changed. And all of a sudden I had an egg sensitivity. And I, as I started becoming more aware of stuff, I was like, wow, okay. These eggs used to eat insects off of grass. I sorry, these uh, chickens used to eat <laughs> insects <laughs> off of grass. And now they're all being fed corn. Right. And so maybe I'm a little bit reactive to the corn in addition to having the gut permeability issues that were there. Absolutely. So there's corn is another one. There's not of food sensitivities out there. And you may not experience digestive discomfort when you eat these foods. So that's the kicker too, right? People say, well, I feel fine when I eat wheat or I feel fine when I eat dairy or corn or soy. And what they mean by I feel fine is that they mean that they don't get like diarrhea, gas, and bloating immediately. But really with a food sensitivity, the reaction can show up 48 hours later. And I don't know about you, but I can't remember what I ate like two days ago. So people have a really hard time because the reaction isn't immediate, making the connection, the one-to-one connection between what they're eating and then the inflammatory response that they're having. And so we see this all the time with acne, with eczema, with psoriasis, uh, with rashes and breakouts um, of all sorts. And that there's this delayed reaction, and so people aren't connecting what they're eating, but it is ultimately a food sensitivity. Cutting out that food for at least, I say at least six weeks, um, and being diligent about it is really key because that's when you're going to see the transformation. You're going to see that inflammation go away. So let me ask you a question. I was in Italy this summer, and I've heard this from other individuals. I went hard on some (laughs) bread and cheese. Yeah. And... I've been to Europe before, so I kind of had an idea. Uh, It's not the same case in England where I feel like the food system has changed a little bit. I went to Italy and I went hard on bread, cheese. I was there with my family, my girlfriend. We kind of went all out, had a lot of fun, a lot of wine. I didn't break out. Have you ever had this experience? Yeah. You know, when I'm in Europe, if I, if I go maybe like once every year or two, um, I feel like I can get away with it a little bit more. I will say that if I stay there long enough and I keep eating that way long enough, I will see the breakouts come back. Yeah. Uh, so we're not immune. And so this idea that I'm only allergic to American wheat or American dairy, uh, 
I don't think is true. I think but people you do tend, notice a little bit of. But a difference. I do, I do notice a difference, and I do know a lot of people who notice a difference. And I think the re, the reason is really twofold. First of all, uh, when you're on vacation, you're feeling good, stress levels are lower, and when stress is lower, um, your immune system functions better, and you're less inflamed. So, boom, your underlying base level. Uh, baseline level of inflammation is lower. And so you're less prone to those breakouts. Second, food quality in Europe is vastly different than the United States. So they've really prioritized protecting their food system, not entirely because there's plenty of refined packaged foods there. Totally. And it's changing but, every day. And it's changing all the time. But historically, Europe and the European Union has been much stricter about uh, hormones in beef and what animals are fed. People are getting foods much more locally as opposed to these mass industrial food sources um, where everything is corn-fed, antibiotics, pesticides. We know that some of the pesticides, um, including glyphosate and others, can be a cause of leaky gut. So, And we also know that different varietals of wheat, for instance, um, have a different impact on you. So the gluten protein, which is a protein in wheat, is a big, big juicy protein, right? It's what gives that pizza that chew. Um, but most of our wheat in the United States has been bred to have almost like a super gluten protein in it. It's even bigger um, and it is even more toxic to the people who are sensitive to it uh, than the wheat that's been more heritage grown or other varietals of wheat. Uh, in Europe. So there's both a difference in the food sourcing and quality that you're eating that is less inflammatory and then the stress levels. And we think that's why. Um, but I do find that when people spend longer, when they go past that, oh, I went for a week and everything was amazing and I was fine. Uh, and, and it they catches stay, up to them. It catches up to them if they stay there long enough. Yeah. So you mentioned something really interesting earlier and I just want to make sure that that connection is linked up. You talked about gut and our skin. So how is it that our gut health and the inflammation and the insults that our gut can go through, how does that end up making its way and affecting our skin, not just with acne, but other issues that are there? Yeah. So there's a huge gut brain connection, gut skin connection, um, gut immune connection. And it's funny because in my training in medical school, we didn't think of it that way. And it was really through my studies of functional medicine later that I began to understand some of those connections. In conventional medicine, we tend to kind of put organ systems in a box. So we say the gut and digestion over here and the brain is over here and the skin is over here and the immune system's over here. And they all, all have a separate department, silos. but their own office and their own door and their own key. <laughs> and they don't talk to each other. And that's just not how the human body works. The human body is an ecosystem. Uh, and we know that health starts in the gut because if you think about how we evolved, if we didn't have an incredibly strong ability to extract nutrients from our environment from food and an incredibly powerful ability to decipher friend from foe, so a strong gut immune system, we wouldn't be here as a species. So a lot of people forget that from your mouth all the way down to your bum is actually the outside world. Uh, and then there's a barrier called your gut lining uh, which is highly sophisticated that deciphers friend from foe and then extracts nutrients from what you eat. And that is sensitive because if it wasn't sensitive, it would be stupid, right? And then it wouldn't have kept us alive. And so what happens is we have a few factors that are breaking down the integrity of that gut lining that are leading to immune dysfunction. And I'll talk about what immune dysfunction means in a second because it can show up as 
brain fog. It can show up as acne. It can show up as a lot of different things. But sticking with the gut for a moment, what happens is we are regularly putting that gut lining and the immune system, 70% of our body's immune system is in the gut, um, in these cells that are right behind the lining of the gut. Because again, you think about it like we have to be there ready. If something's poisonous to us, we have to be able to deal with it then and there before it spreads through our whole body. So we've been kind of putting our gut lining under attack and we've been doing it through a few things. Uh, over-the-counter medications are a huge one, particularly the NSAID class of medications. So these ibuprofens and that entire class of medication has been universally shown through all of the scientific literature to break down the lining of the gut. If you take too much ibuprofen, right, you can get an ulcer. But between zero to ulcer, there's an in-between, which is causing inflammation in the lining of the intestine. Uh, the next one is alcohol. Alcohol is really toxic to the gut and alcohol is pervasive in our culture. People drink often every single day. They're always putting that gut lining under assault. The next is chronic stress, which we talked about a little bit earlier and how chronic stress can break down the little cement walls between the bricks that are the cells that line the gut. And a lot of people are really stressed out day in and day out. From there, you have overuse of antibiotics. And this is another one that we've seen uh, we see it parsley over and over again. We see how people who've had a lot of antibiotics sometimes put on antibiotics mistakenly for acne end up killing off the good bacteria, leading to the rise of bad bacteria, leading to conditions like SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. They did a study of rosacea, which is an in sort of inflammation of the face, which has become really common, um, where people have a rash across their face. And they found that over 50% of rosacea was due to having SIBO. And when they treated the overgrowth of this bacteria in the small intestine, that the rosacea went away. Wow. Um, and these bacteria are important for regulating our immune system, for keeping the lining of our gut safe and, uh, and, and held together. Uh, and then these bacteria also make different compounds themselves that go through our gut lining that can trigger our immune system. And then... All of that is happening, and then you add in the food sensitivities, right? So people who have are eating foods that they were allergic to um, or are becoming sensitive to foods because they're living on ibuprofen, having too much to drink, chronically stressed, uh, having a lot of antibiotics or other medications. Too much sugar in their diet. And then sugar is another one, a highly refined diet. 94% of the American diet is ultra-refined. So we're living on refined sugars and flours, and these are also creating a lot of inflammation in the gut and changing, you know, sort of curating our microbial garden in not such a great way. And this confluence of factors is leading to our immune system, which is in our gut, just doing its job, reacting and reacting. And that's where you get chronic inflammation. And from there, you can get this whole host of downstream effects, and a lot of them show up in the skin. It's incredible. You know, when I was younger, my dermatologist was like, what you eat and your lifestyle has nothing to do with your skin besides just washing your face and that sort of stuff. Um, and also my parents would say, why is it that all of a sudden you have this dairy sensitivity and like none of us have it? And I'd say even back then I didn't know enough, but I knew a little bit. I said, I went through a massive amount of antibiotics just as like a kid. I was on antibiotics all the time. I got strep throat regularly. Uh, bronchitis a few times. And so my gut was decimated 
with all those antibiotics that were there. And it's interesting because when when we do an intake at Parsley, we go all the way back to childhood and we want right. to hear whether or not you were born C-section because that has implications for your immune system and autoimmune long-term. We want to hear what medications you were taking as a kid. And people always say, I can't believe you're asking me this stuff. Like we're going way back in time. You know, I'm here now for this problem. And when I hear that, I hear, oh, I had a lot of antibiotics as a kid, a lot of strep throat, a lot of ear infections. Then I hear that's probably some a kid who had a food sensitivity to begin with because a dairy allergy can cause not only acne and eczema and breakouts, but it can also lead to chronic allergies, sinusitis. Uh, so when I have patients who, or or when they bring our children, their children to see us, we really dive into what those kids are eating. Because when you hear all of those chronic respiratory issues happening, you think, oh, they might actually have the allergy already. They end up on a lot of antibiotics. That depletes and destroys the gut microbiome. And then you, le- you you end up with all this downstream stuff later on. And it can show up as asthma. It can show up as breakouts and skin issues. It can show up as chronic digestive issues because they've had all the antibiotics. So we, when we say that we go back to the root cause, like we go back because you have to go back to the beginning. Your health, the story of your health is the story of your life. And how you feel today didn't happen yesterday. You didn't get here in a day. I always explain to our members. So we've got to go back and trace back the story, which is often an amalgamation of all these things that have happened along the way. So let's go back to your story. You started to learn about functional medicine, dig deep. You talked about food sensitivities and understanding the stress connection that was there from being in medical school. Um, Was there anything else that you saw that was part of the story of skin, although, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you improving your gut health not only improves your skin, it improves so many other aspects. So was there anything else besides food sensitivity and stress that you noticed for you? And how long did it take before you started to see some significant changes in your adult acne? So for me, the elimination diet was was the radical thing. I mean, it was like, boom, that five, six week mark. I noticed that my acne was clearing up. Uh, at that point, I wasn't on any medications or getting any steroid injections because I'd like given up on all that stuff. I'd given up on the thousands of dollars I'd spent on natural products, unnatural products, um, you name it. I had bought it. Um, and I started to notice the acne clearing up and I was like blown away. And really pissed because I think you mentioned you like – figured this out right after prom. Well, similarly, <laughs> I figured this out like right around the time of my wedding. Um, so this is a little bit after medical school at this point. And I'd been dealing with this for years at this point, uh, spending a ton of money on dermatologists and facialists and lasers and all of these different things and products kind of getting nowhere, going kind of with ups and downs with it. And it was after my wedding. And I remember, I will never forget this. The night before the wedding, we had the rehearsal dinner. But of course, when you're like the bride and groom, you don't eat anything. And so everyone got pizza right afterwards, like late night pizza the night before the wedding. And of course, I had a slice because I'm partying and I'm like, whatever. And I remember waking up the morning of my wedding with a huge zit. And being like, no, why? Cursing the gods. Cursing the gods (laughs) and like covering up with makeup, of course. But then 
you know, a few months later, it was really in that following year that I uh, did the research, learned about food sensitivities and ended up cutting out these foods and seeing my acne completely going away. So that like that slice of pizza is like burned in my memory. Um, But I do think that there's a number of other things that we see that compound this issue. One of them is products that really strip the skin and disturb the skin's microbiome. So you see a lot of people who have acne on topical antibiotics and topical retinoids, um, like Retin-A, to increase the skin turnover. And Retin-A can be awesome because it can really help with the scarring, um, and it can help clear the skin a little bit. But what I see a lot is people have acne overusing the retinoids, which really seems to create an issue with the acid-base balance of the skin and can lead to even further imbalances in the bacterial layer of the skin and the um, fatty acid layer of the skin, the sebum. We all have a fatty acid layer on top of our skin that's there to protect us. And by messing with that chronically, what I'll see is somebody who had acne that they were treating with these topicals, and then they'll develop sort of another form of the acne. It'll show up somewhere else. They'll get what I call perioral dermatitis or breakouts around the mouth. Uh, And we'll start to see that sometimes through overuse of some of these topicals. And there is, you know, a C. acnes. It's a bacteria that's been associated with acne. But C. acnes is just present, right? It's just there. And the changes in the internal body that lead to the body creating an inflammatory response in the skin, clogging a pore, um, and attacking C. acnes in our face um, or in our skin Again, it's an internal process. So there's a lot of products on the market that tell us, you know, kill the bacteria, kill the bacteria. Right. Uh, and it doesn't stop the process. And that's where people get really frustrated when they're using all of these topicals. So it's not that the topicals cause the acne. It's that, that I don't see that. It's that they don't fix the underlying problem and that sometimes we see them making them worse long term and leading to even further imbalances in the skin and the skin microbiome. So speaking of imbalances, you've also talked about the ratio of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids in our body and why that's so important. So can you just explain that ratio, um, how you guys test for it, and um, how we can correct that and why it's important to the skin? Yeah, so fats, healthy fats are critical and all of your cells in your body have these fatty acids that are... uh, holding together the cell, basically. Um, so they compose the the framework of the cell. And so we have to remember that we truly are what we eat. And today we get about a 24, I've seen estimates of 24 to 26 to 1 ratio of omega-6 fatty acids and omega-3s. So what are omega-6s and omega-3s? So omega-6s are all of those plant-based refined oils that are in everything. It's the corn oils and the rapeseed oils and the soybean oils, the canola Canola. oils. I mean, these things are in every salad bar. Um, They're used en masse. They're a lot cheaper than olive oil, which is a great source of omega-3 fatty acids. And so they're used universally. And as a result, because we eat, like I said, a highly refined processed food diet by and large, even if you think you're healthy, I guarantee you're getting too much omega-6. Uh, I was talking to someone yesterday who was calling out some of the, you know, health food chains and salad bar chains uh, and healthy grocery stores that we all know and love. I will not name names at this moment, but who are 
um, using universally these vegetable-based oils instead of olive oil on things like salads. So you're getting your salad bowl and you're like, oh, I'm doing such a good job. I'm being so healthy. But you're getting a huge load of these omega-6 fatty acids. And the ideal ratio is four to one, not 26 to one. Right. So we don't get enough omega-3s. And omega-3s are important because they form the building blocks of healthy cells. They're also important because they play a role in lowering inflammation and in cutting off the inflammatory cascade that happens when we react to something. And so when you have really low omega-3s on board, and we can test for this through something called an omega-3 index or a fatty acid index, um, we also do a survey of your diet because tests aren't everything. We want to know, like, what are you actually eating? Uh, and we use this information to establish uh, if you need, and I, to be honest, I like don't know anyone who doesn't need more a better omega three to omega six fatty acids. It's so pervasive, it's even a lot so of the pervasive. health foods. And you know, you don't want to call them out, but and I'm not trying to call them out. I'm trying to lift them up. Right. True Food Kitchen, Sweet Greens, yeah. Whole Foods. I mean, yep. again, all these companies are doing amazing stuff, yep. and they're bringing food and making it more accessible. And you know what you can do? The hack is is just ask for olive oil instead of their regular dressings. Totally. Because their regular dressings are all filled with omega six. Again, they're doing their yeah. best. They're doing the best they know how. They with the right. information they have. But we can start demanding more and ask for different. Absolutely. Options. I mean, a lot of these companies are certainly a step in the right direction. But there's a major step, a, in the right a lot, direction. a lot more that they can do, and and making people aware of this. So as you said, like DIY salad dressing is probably one of the number one things that you can do for your health, because the bottled stuff and the pre-made stuff are all filled with omega-6 fatty acids, these vegetable oils like canola oil, and oftentimes a lot of sugar. Uh, so olive oil with some lemon juice and some sea salt is like the ultimate salad dressing, so healthy. Uh, and olive oil is like, I mean, you can drink this stuff. Um, it's such a great source of healthy fats. We've been trained in our culture to be afraid of fat, but healthy fats are nuts and seeds and uh, cold water fish, small fish like sardines, um, uh, olive oil are so incredibly powerful and so important for our health and important for the integrity of our cells and our skin and important to balancing how our immune system functions. So I get this question like, you know, what supplement should I take and what supplement supplements should we all be on? And I am, we at Parsley are very focused on uh, personalized supplement regimens and using supplements tactically for a specific reason, not just like taking something to take it because we're all different and what you need and what I need could be really different. Uh, so we don't really universally, frankly, recommend anything. But when this topic comes up around omega-3s and fish oil, people say, oh, well, the research shows that, you know, it's not that helpful for heart health. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't, you should have gone beyond the heart health because actually the best research on omega-3 fatty acids is around two things, autoimmune so high-dose fatty acid therapy in conditions like eczema and psoriasis, uh, and then also in mood. Um, and so using omega-3 fat, omega fatty acids excuse me, um, as an adjunct therapy with antidepressants or on its own is shown to help mood. So again, it just goes back to this idea that we our bodies are this complex ecosystem that consists of our own cells, our bacteria cells, and environmental cues, what we eat, our relationships, they're not a subset of organ systems. And so unfortunately in conventional medicine, and you know, I was trained at the top institutions in the United States and I had a wonderful education, but I was trained in that thinking that these systems are all separate and don't talk to each other. 
And that's where we get blocked. And that's where we try to treat the skin at the skin level when the problem is at the gut. So you talked a little about hormones before and dispelling this idea that it's just hormones that's causing it. But there is there can be a link with hormones that are related to acne. So help us understand that because there are individuals and I and I I'm going to zoom out and say that my anecdotal experience and also being a partner in, in a medical center and having referred so many people to Parsley Health and other places is that skin is is a it's a little bit more complicated for women than it is for for mm-hmm. men. A lot of the men that I know that have adult acne, it's like put them on food sensitivity elimination diet. And usually that's like 99% of the case in addition to just maybe a basic skincare routine. For women, it can be a little bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. And there's many people that are even listening to this uh, podcast who have asked me, can we dig a little bit deeper? Because I've done the elimination diet and I'm still finding that my skin is not getting better. Yep. So if you've done the elimination diets uh, and you've really done it and you've sort of gone beyond the basics of, of wheat and dairy, you're right. It might not be enough. So there's a couple of factors that we see. First, before we get to hormones, just coming back to the gut microbiome, a lot of sugar, a lot of antibiotics leads to sometimes yeast overgrowth in the gut. So everybody has some yeast in the gut. Yeast in the body is normal a little bit, but when it's overgrown and the body and the immune system starts reacting to it, that's when you could see breakouts. Uh, I was actually having this argument with a prominent dermatologist in New York, um, and he was like, what, you know, yeast, does that have anything to do with psoriasis, eczema, acne? So I had one of our team members write a white paper on it and pulled together all of the research and showed it to him. And this is someone who's a professor at Mount Sinai Hospital Systems of Dermatology. He has a big, like, multi-site practice. And Do you mind me saying, like, about approximate age? That he that he this gentleman is yeah he's probably like early forties so he wasn't trained you know fifty years ago right and a lot of his tra- research has come out since that time yeah he was, he was trained relatively recently but he and I were arguing about you know this idea that 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 food allergies cause acne and eczema and psoriasis and the and the and the role of yeast in the microbiome um, and some of these things we just pulled all the research for him and he was like oh. Because it's not part of his practice. It's not part of the way that he was trained in derm to think about this entire category. And usually when a dermatologist who means well, it says like there's no connection. Really their lack of awareness is just lack of the research. Their lack of awareness is a lack of the research. When you go to medical school, people have to understand and you do your residency training, there are a million new publications, peer-reviewed publications published on PubMed, which is where uh, medical research is published today online. Every year, no doctor, if you did nothing but sit all day long and read medical publications 12 hours a day, every waking moment, you would not get through all of that. Uh, And then research is imperfect. There's a lot of conflicting research. And then there's a huge impetus from the pharmaceutical industry to drive a lot of dollars into research where there's that money pot at the end, right, where if if I create this drug that works Uh, I'm incentivized to do all of this research. But when you're researching eliminating a food or uh, using a common, cheap, been on the market for 40 years, antifungal prescription medication to treat yeast to quiet an acne or an eczema response, there's just not a lot of incentives to do that research in our current system. But it doesn't mean that that 
treatment or that therapy isn't valid. And a lot of people don't understand that that's the nature of medical research today. And so there is there are holes in the knowledge base of the best and most well-meaning specialists. And there are things that they know really well and and skills that they have that are incredibly valuable. And I don't mean to diminish those, uh, but there's big holes and gaps in the knowledge base. Uh, and new information can take 17 years to get into basic medical education. If I could interject, I yeah. asked my uh, dermatologist when I was younger, does sugar have anything to do with my acne? And there's an article uh, by my dear friend Anahat O'Connor, uh, who wrote in the New York Times. So it started off by saying, any links between sugar and acne has long been dismissed. But now scientists are taking another look. In recent years, studies have shown that what matters may not be sugar itself, but the food, food glycemic index or the speed and the extent to which it raises blood glucose. And basically goes in to give a full summary on the latest studies that have happened that show this link between sugar glycemic index and acne and how finally we're starting to pay attention a little bit to it. So stuff yeah. like this is coming out all the time. All the time when the focus of the research changes for different reasons culturally, where the money supporting different types of research changes. I mean, we're always evolving. So I'm glad you brought up sugar because it's going to bring me back to hormones because hormones do play a role with acne and especially in women. Uh, in two ways. So first of all, you're right, your anecdotal observation that men uh, seem to have a simpler time with this and women uh, a little bit more complex is true because male hormones tend to stay relatively stable day to day and month over month. And women's hormones are cyclical and they're changing month over month. So this observation that I break out, you know, around my period is not, you know, you're not hallucinating that. That's real. And it comes from the relative ratios of the different hormones in your during your menstrual cycle, testosterone stays relatively stable for women over this time, uh, but progesterone is higher mid-cycle and then drops right before the cycle. It's actually the ratios between testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone changing that change the composition of the skin a little bit, change the acid-base balance, change the way that the sebum, that fatty acid layer that protects our skin is produced. You produce more when progesterone is higher. Uh, that's what accounts for the, uh, per perhaps accounts for the pregnancy glow that we describe. Um, I'll, I'll take a credit. I think I definitely have it right now. I'm six months. Um, and because my progesterone levels are higher and in pregnancy, progesterone levels stay high throughout pregnancy. But in your menstrual cycle, these hormone balances are changing. And for some people, that can make us more acne prone around that time. So when people say my acne is, is a, caused by my hormones, they're not wrong because the, the shifts in the hormones that are happening are making them, um, are leading to that breakout around that time. But the problem is there's nothing wrong with their hormones. It's not that their hormones are malfunctioning. Their hormones are just doing what they're supposed to do. And so if you're acne prone, then what you want to do is balance blood sugar, balance, uh, get rid of food sensitivities, balance the gut microbiome, use fatty acid therapies, um, and do all of the internal work. Because if you're prone to those hormonal breakouts, doing all of that stuff will reduce those breakouts. And and as you mentioned earlier, st stress is being like the one of the major culprits. I've seen, you know, just to, on the topic of women, I've seen women who have done all these kind of components. They're going and getting like the labs and other stuff. And finally, they're sitting with like a functional medicine doctor at, at Parsley. And it's like, 
hey, let's talk about stress and the crazy workouts that are going on right now that are stressing your body out. And also work is very stressful. Like how, we can't change everything, but how can we at least try to mitigate some of the impact and stress? Because stress is, I would say, even more powerful than sometimes food sensitivities and other things going on in the body. Absolutely. And stress, chronic stress really messes with our female hormones and it can show up in different ways. So when we're chronically stressed out, and I see this in New York all the time, women who are over-exercising, living at that spin class, dehydrated, going from, you know, waking up in the morning, running through their jobs, going to the spin class, kind of chilling out with a glass of wine at night, not sleeping that well, drinking the caffeine the next morning to keep going. And they're on a rinse and repeat cycle of coffee to wine, um, punctuated by spin. And that is not a recipe for a healthy hormone balance. And so you see that and those women can even get complete uh, absent periods because centrally their brain sort of says, you seem to be running from a lion all day, every day. I'm going to shut down this menstrual cycle. Now does not seem like a good time to have a baby. Um, And we see that. We also see that women will maintain their menstrual cycles but get much worse PMS, Um, you know, breast tenderness, mood imbalances. Uh, and those breakouts before their cycle because those swings in their hormones are much more extensive than if they were less stressed out. The other thing that stress does is it messes with blood sugar, and blood sugar is really important. Uh, and I'm gonna, I really want to talk about that because I'm actually seeing doing a ketogenic diet or a fast in a ketogenic diet as sometimes being the way to zap someone's chronic acne in men as well as women. Uh, it's quite effective for some people. So people who are living on that sugar and that wine and that caffeine, living in fight or flight mode, so they're always stressed, when all of our hormones are related. So when cortisol goes up, which is our major stress hormone, then blood sugar goes up when, because if we're stressed, we need more blood sugar in our bloodstream so that we can run away from that lion. Blood sugar goes up, insulin goes up. Insulin's the hormone that regulates blood sugar in the body. When insulin is chronically elevated, we not only get insulin resistance, which can cause things like prediabetes and diabetes, but insulin also bumps testosterone. And then testosterone is metabolized into estrogen. And so what you see with people who are chronically stressed, high sugar diets, have underlying metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance, is you see, sometimes you'll see on the labs that their testosterone is elevated. And sometimes you'll see it show up further downstream in terms of their estrogens being elevated. And then you get PCOS, Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, where you get irregular periods, often accompanied by acne. Uh, That will be one group who's especially insulin sensitive and uh, more prone to metabolic syndrome. And by the way, it can be like your your skinniest little sprite of a woman who you would never think, you know, would have a blood sugar issue. But her genetics, her background, her constitution – is set up that she's pretty sensitive to those blood sugar swings and they do a number on her hormones. And so you'll see those irregular periods and you'll see the acne and that's PCOS. For other women, that testosterone gets metabolized into estrogens and that's when you see the really bad PMS, the really bad heavy periods, um, a lot of menstrual cramps and pain, mood imbalances, uh, insomnia right before the period, and then the breakouts right before the period as opposed to more consistently the way that you do with PCOS. And it all goes back, again, looking underneath to blood sugar and also to stress mm-hmm. and lifestyle. And so it's so interesting. And that's why I say, but it's not your hormones. It is your hormones. But the question that we need to be asking 
is what is driving your hormones to be imbalanced in the first place. And so you always have to go a level deeper. Mm. So I want to shift gears and I want to talk about one other aspect. You mentioned it briefly earlier, but it's also the things that we put on our skin. So let's talk about cosmetics and how they can either help or hurt our skin. Yeah. So I was reading that, I think these stats might even be out of date and it's more now, but the average woman uses 12 personal care products before she leaves the house in the morning. Lotion, makeup, shampoo, conditioner, all the things, right? And that a man is at seven, but I think that number has been steadily going up. Uh, So we're all putting a lot of stuff on our bodies. And one of the things that we forget is like our skin is not a waterproof raincoat. Our skin is absorptive. It's like a sponge. And it absorbs anything into it that is fat soluble. So if you are putting things on your skin, your skin is essentially eating some of those things and bringing it into your body and it's going into your bloodstream. So it's hard to imagine that, right? We we don't get like taught that as kids, but that's how our skin works. That's our skin doing its job. And so we're putting a lot of stuff on our bodies every day, not just in our bodies. And what goes on our bodies is going into our bodies. And we have to remember that. And so some of these products can be really disruptive to our skin over time. So I'll hear this a lot. You know, I started using this great new product that my, you know, the juice bar barista told me about or the my girlfriend told me about or my mom read about on the internet and it worked really well at first and it stopped working. You hear that all the time. And then you end up with this like, you know, <laughs> kitchen or like bathroom sink just layered with all of these like the graveyard of failed products. Um, And the reason is that a lot of these products, when you initially use them, might quiet a, a localized inflammatory reaction, but over time are not fixing the underlying inflammation. And then on top of that, they're creating their own problems by stripping the skin of that sebum, um, that fatty acid protective layer that we talked about, which is really important to maintaining the skin, Uh, especially the retinoids, but also the topical antibiotics can really strip the skin, change the acid-base balance, and leave the skin chapped and more prone to acne or to breakouts. A lot of these products are really drying to the skin, so we think, oil bad, get rid of the oil. And so then we try to soak it all up with these products and then they actually strip the skin. And then the skin tries to produce more and more and more oil to keep up to protect itself uh, because we need that protective fatty acid layer over our skin. Uh, And then again, the atopical antimicrobials, even things that are not, you know, an antibiotic topical per se, but they might have effects that really uh, destroy some of the skin bacteria that are really protective. And so we have to remember that not only is there a microbial ecosystem in our gut, but there's one living on our skin. And the balances of the good and bad bacteria on our skin are deliberate, right? This is how we've evolved. This is not something that we, the skin should not be sterile. If it is, we're in real trouble. This is part of our immune system. And so some of these products are making it really hard for some of the natural bacteria, uh, that live on our skin to, to, to survive and then others grow. And so what you see are these imbalances ca- happening over time that the products are either causing um, or certainly not helping. And so I, it's funny. I'm like a huge natural skincare person. Um, I've greened my beauty cabinet. So I've gotten rid of all of the 
hormone disruptors and the preservatives and the dyes and the chemicals in my skincare products to the best of my ability. Even I am a victim of greenwashing because there's a lot of products out there that claim to be natural that frankly just aren't. Um, or on the other side, there's products that just, I have, you know, my sisters or my girlfriend or other, other female friends, they're like, I just can't find a replacement that works as good as this. So I've cleaned up everything else, but I've held on to this like one or two things, which it's like, it's, you're just trying to manage. Yeah. And that's where, again, it's really getting to the root cause of what's driving the, the breakout. Um, because there are topicals that will quell inflammation in the skin or cause great higher skin turnover to keep the skin smoother like the retinoids. And those are valuable, um, but they're not fixing the underlying problem. So you might find that one of those, quote, more toxic products works a little bit better um, because it's managing inflammation from the outside in, but it's just not fixing the problem. So I always ask people, well, this product that you're so attached to that you say works so well, is your problem actually gone? Or is it just a little bit better um, than something than using another product? How did you go about the process of finding alternatives that are there? Are there sources, companies, places that you trust and go to to find uh, products that actually work? I mean, specifically, I mean, men can benefit too, but I think a lot of you know women using more products than men are looking like what is clean but actually works. So first of all, less is more. Just generally reducing the number of products that you're using. Um, is huge because by definition, you're going to reduce the burden of chemicals that you're putting on your body. So just start there. Like, am I using 15 things when I could use five? Um, am I washing my face over and over and over again, which again is stripping the skin instead of letting my face heal? Um, and so a lot of people are overwashing. I only use soap on my face once a day to wash makeup off at the end of the day. I don't wash my face otherwise. Um, because my face is taking care of itself, right? And that's like really the state that we want to get to. So, well, okay, just to be a little yeah. bit more practical, when you wake up first thing in the morning and let's Water say, only. Water only, no soap. No soap. Yeah. There's no reason. I washed all this stuff off the night before. Why, what am I soaping off? I splashed cold water on my face. Uh, I then put on, you know, a non-toxic moisturizer for the day. Any brand that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, I mean, I've been using different ones. I really like Body Deli. Um, which is uh, a non-toxic be beauty and skincare line. I really like, I've been using lately Environ products, um, which uh, I, you know, started to take the aging thing like pretty seriously this summer. <laughs> so I started seeing a, a kind of fancy facialist in New York who yeah. I go to every couple months because I was like, ooh, it's time to invest. What are we dealing with here? Uh, who has me using some of these products, uh, which are European and the European regulations on the number of industrial products and their toxicity is infinitely stricter than US. Um, doesn't mean they're perfectly clean, um, but means that they're a lot like European, doesn't mean that European products are perfectly clean, but means they're a lot better. Uh, what else do I use? I use. Do you want to give her a shout out? This uh, facial. Yeah, I, I will. Although if I do, I'm afraid because like I won't be able to, to get to in to see her. Um, <laughs> but uh, her name is her name is Lisa at Feed Your Skin, okay, um, and she's really she's a holistic facialist. But she uses like the best. She's like the parsley of facialists because she uses all of the cool new tech. So she's using LED lights and right. infrared. Uh, I see someone in LA like that. Her name oh, cool. is Etty. So we'll link okay. to both of those okay. individuals. Okay, awesome. And yeah. That's been, uh, I mean, a huge help for me. it's cool because she's using all the coolest tech and she's using the latest science, 
But she's also using a very natural approach that isn't stripping my skin, destroying my skin, and is very aware that less is more. So uh, she's been awesome. And, you know, I use clean beauty products. I use Hint, H-Y-N-T, and I also use um, RMS Beauty, Rosemary Swift. Uh, and listen, I'm aware that a lot of these products probably aren't perfect. Um, however, they're a big step in the right direction, uh, as we talked about before, like a huge leap forward versus the stuff sort of on the regular grocery store shelves. I got rid of all my lotions and I just use body oil. So like a coconut sesame based body oil with some essential oils in it. Oil, the skin just eats it right up. It works so much better than lotion. And I don't have to worry that I have this like weird white preservative filled like gook that I have no idea what's in it with like 74 ingredients on it. Uh, I'm not putting that on my body. I'm just using oils. And so it's like really about that simplification that I find uh, is the most effective. Uh, I want to mention one other thing to get your thoughts on it. A few podcasts ago, we had uh, Kieran Krishnan on the podcast. He's a micro microbiologist and he's the founder of microbiome labs and uh, they're always doing different studies. He has yet to publish this. So once it's out there, we'll share it with our audience. But one of the things he was saying that uh, he loves coconut oil for the skin. He noticed that sometimes, especially if people don't have a genetic lineage where coconut oil is used a lot in their diet, like coming from like the equator or like coastal regions of like India, he notices that uh, and they did this study where they showed that sometimes people who are having large amounts of coconut oil in their diet, it could create endotoxemia, which can also cause gut issues and then affect the skin. So just anecdotally, I shared with my audience that I was going to lower the amount of coconut oil that I'm using mm -hmm. internally. I still use it on my skin. And uh, there's a, there's probably about like 20 or so people on Instagram that are following me that are also <laughs> trying the same thing. Again, these things are anecdotal, you know, placebo right. effect, you never know. But there seems to, I've been getting a lot of messages back of people saying, you know what? I have not been cooking with coconut oil. Instead, I use just olive oil and just testing it out. Elimination diet style. Try it out yep. for three weeks. See what happens. And people are noticing some improvements in their skin. Again, we'll see what happens. We'll see. And I mean, think it's worth, do you think it's worth trying out for people? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, um, moderate amounts of coconut oil used in cooking can be healthy for a lot of people, but some people really are overdoing it. Um, if you have uh, certain genetic predisposition to heart disease and you're eating a lot of that type of oil, you might need to scale back, right? The the high fat diets work um, if done well without processed sort of crap food, but done really well with a lot of vegetables in them um, for balancing blood sugar, for lowering inflammation, uh, for weight loss, for achieving a lot of different goals metabolically for some people. There are definitely a group of people who cannot eat like that. And so when we do in-depth testing and we do an NMR lipid profile, which is looking at the shapes and sizes of your cholesterol, which is much more important than your total cholesterol, when we look at the inflammatory markers in the cardiovascular system, uh, there's a group of people who are doing the high-fat thing who should not be and really need to be on a predominantly high-fiber plant-based diet with perhaps a little bit of high-quality animal protein and certainly some healthy fats in there because we all need healthy fats, but... Uh, cannot get away with the MCT and the coconut oil and the keto and all that stuff. Uh, and it is a bit genetic. Remember, we have to remember we're all different. One of the things that we're really bringing into the world with Parsley is truly personalized medicine. And personalized medicine has to cover not only 
tailoring your medication regimen insofar as we're able to today, which is a little bit, not much, but we're getting there in, in medicine to your genetics. So medications, you know, that are um, appropriate for you based on genetics are absolutely the future. We're on the tip of the iceberg there. Um, we use supplements at Parsley Health tailored to your genetics and also tailored to your lab testing and what we find. Nutrition should be no different. And so there really isn't a one size fits all. So there are probably people who are overdoing it on the coconut oil and it's not great for them. And there's other people for whom that might be a healthy, healthier part of their diet. Yeah, it's all about personalization. Yeah. So I want to make the link to to skin and also get a chance to talk about what you guys do and how you may think about things a little bit differently. So if somebody comes in to Parsley to see you as a, as a, as a patient or one of the doctors that are there and they're complaining about breaking out regularly, adult acne, uh, breaking out before their, their, their period, or even if it's a, if it's a guy who's, you know, uh, breaking out and skin is the primary driver for them. And, you know, as they're, they're noticing, you know, you've talked about testing. What are some examples of markers or tests that you might look at that in a traditional conventional doctor's office, whether they go to a dermatologist, whether they go to their primary care physician and they're getting labs done that they may not necessarily look at and make the connection of how this is related to their skin. Yeah. So first off, we start with a much wider and deeper data set on you and your life than any other doctor. So we are asking questions on your intake forms and then in our first visit, which is an hour and 15 minutes, where we're having those conversations about, did you have a lot of medications as a kid? Uh, did you go through trauma? When did these breakouts start? What was happening in your life around then? What are you you eating? How are you managing stress? So we start off at this baseline before we get into tests, before we jump to conclusions. Unfortunately, medicine has become quite transactional and reductionist. A, a little bit reductionist when it comes to, okay, you have this problem. Let me give you this drug to suppress the symptoms moving on next and, that, and, that, and that's really through the viewpoint of like everybody's the same, yeah. the same option, which also sometimes happens in integrative medicine too. Absolutely. Uh, and it's about taking the time to do the right thinking, but it's also about systematizing the data set that you collect. Sorry to like get nerdy on you for no, a second. No, let's get nerdy. Uh, and looking at a wider and deeper data set, which is one of the things that we do in order to have greater success rates. Um, you know, we help people with chronic eczema 80 to 85% of our members with that condition improve or resolve their condition. Um, and the best drug on the market is like 35 to 37%. So it's because we take this holistic view and it's because we start with this wider and deeper data set where before I get to what test to give you or what drug to give you or what supplement to give you or what diet to prescribe you, I need to understand where did this come from? What is your story? Back to story of your health is the story of your life. So I need to know the story of your life. Then it depends, right? Because the tests that I might prescribe for one woman who's complaining about her hormonal acne that she's decided is hormonal might be a different set of tests than I prescribe for another woman complaining about hormonal acne because it depends on, well, is it PCOS? Are your periods absent? Are your periods regular, but they're really heavy and you have a lot of PMS? When did the acne start? Uh, have you tried an elimination diet or not? Are you also having gas and bloating? And we might want to test for SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or you have a lot of diarrhea and constipation, so we might want to look at yeast in the gut. So the, the, the answer is, as always, which drives people crazy, it depends. But 
once we know your story, once we have that background, once we've established that baseline of knowing you and your whole person life, then we're looking at a couple of things I would say commonly to understand what could be the root cause of the acne. Um, We do do food sensitivity testing. I don't love it, to be honest with you. I'm probably one of the biggest critics in functional in the functional space of food sensitivity testing yeah can you expand on that because you know we yeah have concerns about it i it, it's it can be helpful and i'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. i'm not saying it's universally unhelpful and when we have a patient with a pretty severe autoimmune condition multiple sclerosis rheumatoid arthritis um And we really need to identify patterns in the foods that they're reacting to in order to try to put that uh, condition, which is a chronic inflammatory response, into remission or to quiet it. We will use food sensitivity testing because it can be very valuable in in those moments. But the problem with food sensitivity testing is it's a little bit imprecise. The things that show up on your test if you have intestinal permeability or leaky gut might just be the stuff that you're eating more recently. And it can lead people down this rabbit hole of cutting out lots of things, feeling incredibly restricted in their diets, and to no benefit. And so at Parsley, we do offer one form of food sensitivity testing, one one or two. Um, One type that uh, we like one of the Cyrex tests that can elucidate, go beyond the wheat allergy, for instance, and tell us if you're... also sensitive to other related grains, that can be really useful. Uh, things like spelt and corn and oats, right? We Sometimes the testing can, can guide us there. Then the other uh, test we might use is called KBMO, and it's a food sensitivity test that's looking a little bit beyond an IgG food response. Um, IgG is an antibody in your immune system. And it actually looks at a full complement cascade. So it asks, actually asks the question and answers, is your body actually reacting to this thing? Or do you have do you just have the antibody that could be meaningless? So I like those two tests in specific contests. But for acne and breakouts and eczema, usually the food sensitivity testing is not where I'm starting because the gold standard in food sensitivities is an elimination diet. Right. And no matter what you the seeing firsthand. Yeah. No matter what the test says, you're still going to have to cut out the food for six weeks and see what happens, which is ultimately going to be the litmus test of does this food impact your skin or not? Like when I eat dairy, just like you said earlier, I'll, I'll, if I have a little bit more than like just like a little piece of cheese or something yeah. like that, I will break out. I still feel freaking amazing. But I can see that direct connection by trying that. Who knows if that would show up on a test or not show up on a test? Yeah, and it can change over time, right? And also, like for me now, I I live a pretty low inflammatory lifestyle when it comes to my diet because I really prioritize eating the foods that will fuel me, that will give me energy, that will help me sleep well, that will keep my digestion well, and that will keep me from breaking out. Vanity is a great motivator. Um, That's the whole reason I got into health. The best. (laughs) Um, There you go. Um, So at this point, I can get away with a little bit of dairy or a little bit of wheat. It's when I start eating those things regularly that it shows up again. Mm. Now, for somebody who's super inflamed, who's been eating those foods all the time, is actively breaking out, just that one next time they eat that food, it may show up. So I'm going to be a bit controversial on food sensitivity testing because while we do stand by it and use it at times at Parsley, I think it's controversial for a reason and we use it probably much less 
than the average sort of functional integrative provider. We really don't typically rely on that information, except like I said, in very specific use cases where we are using it for a specific purpose. Yeah. And I think it's another reason to mention that is that you see a lot of Instagram ads, Facebook ads for at-home food sensitivity testing. And those companies are trying to do a great job and trying to make tests more available. But even, you know, all the doctors that I really like look up to, and even my business partner, Dr. Mark Hyman, will always say like, this is one piece of the puzzle. You can't, there's no test that's out there that you can just do at home that's going to tell you if you're sensitive to certain foods or not. We're just not there yet. Yeah. And we actually just launched our first line of at-home diagnostic testing. We actually started with female hormones. Um, so you can now, from Parsley Health, uh, start not with a doctor, but start directly with testing. And you can get basic female hormone testing, um, which is a blood test. And you can also do a really in-depth test looking at adrenal hormones, all of your female hormones and their metabolites, which is an at-home urine test. And we're interpreting those tests for you, sending you the interpretation. Once we get the test results back, we're also sending you a personalized plan based on your test results. And it's a great jumping off point for people to get started with testing and functional testing and understanding what their results mean for them. So we just launched that. It's going super well, and we're going to expand that program. But back to food sensitivity testing, we had an internal discussion about did we want to offer that um, directly to people? And we decided not to because we didn't think we saw all the companies out there advertising these food sensitivity tests. And this is the best part of Parsley. We have over 30 physicians who are all highly trained conventional primary care doctors who are also trained through our in-house fellowship in this more personalized, holistic, functional approach that we offer. Um, So we've really standardized it. We're looking at our outcomes data and we debate things internally because we're constantly saying, how do we give the best care? Uh, And we decided not to offer food sensitivity testing because of these questions of true value. We're only offering clinical grade tests that have true clinical value in our diagnostics memberships that we're now offering. All incredible information. We can keep on going and going and going. This is awesome. And always want to have you on the podcast to dive deep into this. Uh, You texted me originally. You were like, like, let's talk about other things besides acne and that. I was like, there's so much to talk (laughs) about on that. I don't know how much I have to say. So much to say on that topic. So thank you because (laughs) I think doing a deep dive on skin and acne is something that so many of our listeners wanted, but it's also a way to touch into all these other topics. Yeah. So you proved me wrong. Um, (laughs) I did want to answer a question on testing though. Please, please. Which is that some of the common things that we'll look at depending on what's going on with you. So we will test your hormones. Yeah. Uh, we're looking for high testosterone. We're looking at imbalances in the ratios between estrogen and progesterone. We'll look at your metabolism, hemoglobin A1C, fasting insulin, fasting glucose, because again, these underlying blood sugar imbalances are often at the root of both breakouts as well as hormone imbalances. And just because somebody doesn't have diabetes or isn't yet pre-diabetic in the classic range, they could still be having massive issues with blood sugar. Absolutely. And you can see it on the testing. We test for inflammation. So we look at things like ESR and HSCRP, which are blood markers of inflammation. They're somewhat nonspecific, but if we see that somebody's inflamed, um, that can be a cue for us to do further testing. We'll test for autoimmune conditions. So sometimes people are breaking out. uh, We didn't even touch on this one, but sometimes the breakouts are actually kind of a secondary process related to an autoimmune condition. So I had a young woman with Bichette's autoimmune vasculitis 
um, which is a disease where she had ulcers in her mouth all the way down her digestive tract. Mm. She also had acne. Uh, when we addressed the immune system as a whole, both cleared up, um, which wow. was incredible for her because all of the drugs she had been on that were meant to suppress her immune system hadn't worked. Um, and now she's in complete remission, but her acne also cleared up, but it was really acne that was secondary to this other autoimmune condition that had been missed. And somewhere between 50 and 75 million Americans have an autoimmune condition and 78% of them are women. So we're also looking around and seeing, is there an autoimmune condition? We're also routinely looking at the thyroid because imbalances in the thyroid hormones or the adrenal hormones can affect the sex hormones. So sometimes it might be your hormones, but which hormones? So we'll look at all the hormones instead of just the sex hormones because sometimes the thing that's driving that imbalance is actually another hormone. And somewhere between one in five and one in eight women in her lifetime will be diagnosed with a thyroid condition um, and hypothyroidism. And uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and a lot of it is subclinical. It's borderline. Women get told, oh, you're breaking out. You're gaining weight. You're tired. You have brain fog. You're depressed. Go to the gym when or take this antidepressant when really they have a thyroid problem that hasn't been properly tested for. And a lot of my friends, before I've sent them over to Parsley, and they said, oh, I've looked at my thyroid. It's fine. It's like, well, they haven't had the full spectrum of yes. thyroid labs. It's a partial view from conventional labs, but they haven't looked at their thyroid antibodies. Yes. And the other additional ones that you guys screen for, and then they find out, wow, I actually do have a thyroid issue I never knew before because my doctor didn't know to test for all these additional labs that are out there and the relationship between these yeah, absolutely. I mean, thyroid stuff is like a whole nother, we can do a whole nother day, um, <laughs> but it gets missed all the time, but we do a lot of work on that. And then the gut health testing. So again, I've mentioned SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth a lot. I've mentioned, uh, you know, overgrowth of yeast in the gut. So we do stool testing and breath testing that look at kind of the two ends of the digestive tract and identify imbalances in the microbes or the bacteria that are in the gut. And that testing can be really valuable. This is clinical grade testing, by the way. This is not the direct to consumer microbiome swab that gives you a bunch of like, here's all the zillions of bacteria that live in your gut, which is kind of useless information at this point. Um, these are clinical grade, meaning doctor only tests um, that are validated clinical measures of imbalances in the gut. Um, GIs use them. I'm actually pleased to see more gastroenterologists lately using SIBO testing, doing more in-depth stool testing. I think it's coming. Um, but we do that stuff routinely. And then we often are diagnosing gut issues, right, um, that are then related to breakouts. So then treating the yeast overgrowth, treating the SIBO, which can require actually certain types of antibiotics um, and certain types of herbal antimicrobials to be successful. So sometimes we have to treat the gut to treat the skin. So those are some of the examples of the tests we would do. Amazing. So I want to get a chance to just plug a little bit about what you guys are up to. You just launched a new LA flagship center. Yeah. I saw the one in New York, the one in New York. I haven't been, but I've seen photos of it. To come. Looks incredible. <laughs> uh, we have listeners everywhere and we'll yeah. get to telemedicine in a second, but just would love you guys to mention, uh, would love you to mention the LA uh, flagship location. Yeah. So we're planning our flag officially with our first West Coast flagship space in West Hollywood this week. Uh, I'm so excited to have you guys this have been in space. LA before we've been in LA. We had a teeny tiny little office over in Playa Vista, um, which is, which is no more, but it was, it was time. 
Um, and we're opening a much bigger custom design center in West Hollywood this week, which is really a community space. We have a cafe. Our chef in residence, who's a natural gourmet trained chef, has worked with me to pick all of the different foods and beverages that we have on site. Everything is parsley approved. Uh, you go there just to eat? Or oh, yeah. yeah. If you're a me- <laughs> So that's the coolest thing about being a parsley member is if you live in a different city or you are don't have an appointment, but you're just running through your day in New York since we launched our flagship there in January, it's crazy. Like people are coming just to use the Wi-Fi and have Hang a tea, uh, which is what we wanted. Uh, we use something called biophilic design, which is 14 architectural principles that have been shown to make a space healing to the body just by being in it. Uh, so the spaces are really special. And I didn't want a space that was just pretty. I wanted a space that was pretty and felt good um, and actually was a functionally, you know, no pun intended, functionally healing space. So that opens in West Hollywood this week. And we have a big um, founding membership um, campaign going on. Um, but we're going to be enrolling, you know, hundreds and then thousands of members because we've just gotten to be pretty good at hiring just the best providers, best doctors and health coaches, nurse practitioners. And we have this big team out here in LA now. So selfishly, it's good for me because I get to come spend more time in LA. That's amazing. <laughs> so I'm psyched. Yeah. And also with like the recent raise that I called out in yeah. the uh, bio and in the intro, you guys are jumping into telemedicine. So all the same stuff, you know, and this obviously was news to me when you announce it out to everybody else and super exciting but all the same stuff that you do with people in person all the labs that you mentioned everything else are you guys gonna be doing all that through telemedicine too all remotely i mean the crazy thing is like we're already doing a ton of telemedicine so you only have to come into the office for the first for the first visit so what we saw you know the the move to offering 100 percent remote care should people choose that really came from our members we saw that almost 10% of our members were flying or traveling from another city, state, or country to see us in person for that first visit and then continuing with us remotely via video. And because we offer a membership where you get unlimited access to us 365 days a year and you have this online messaging component, you know, your membership isn't really just about the visits. It's about this constant communication, questions, refills. I've got something new going on. That level of like personalized and concierge level service is normally like 10x what we're charging. And so people have been really taking advantage of that. So what we saw in our existing members who were starting with us in one of our three cities, New York, San Francisco, or LA, uh, a lot of them were continuing most of their care online anyway. So it was a really big no-brainer for us to just say, hey, we're going to drop the requirement that you come in person the first visit because really the future is about access and the future of Parsley is about access and it's about bringing medicine to you where you are. So if you can get the same great doctors, same amazing health coaches, same unlimited access 365, same testing, same guidance, same advice, and you don't have to get in a car or get on a plane to come see us, great. You're still getting all of the benefits of being a Parsley member. Yeah. And previously the interpretation of the law and like legalities and other stuff was like, oh, you got to see a doctor in person. But now that's been evolving and changing and you see a lot more companies in the space yeah. of of just medicine offering telemedicine. And it's so exciting to see that it being brought over to the functional medicine yeah. space. Yeah. I mean, we definitely had to do a bunch of technology work and infrastructure work to make this possible. Um, but all 50 states now recognize a telemedicine live video based relationship um, as a way to start off your relationship with your doctor. And, 
I mean, if you think about it, like we don't we don't have a choice. There's a physician shortage in the United States. You shouldn't have to live in a major, dense urban area to receive good medical care. But that's essentially what's happened. You know, all the big academic centers are in these major cities. And if you're not close to one of them, well, you're not getting the same level of care. And so Parsley is offering a superior level of personalized primary care that just hasn't been accessible before. We started out by bringing the price point of that down to something much more accessible. Now we're making it accessible to everyone through technology, both with the remote visit option, uh, as well as with our diagnostics, which I mentioned earlier. Amazing. Well, I know you're on the press circuit and I'm thinking about the (laughs) clock and I know you got to get to your next thing, but it was an honor to have you back on the podcast. I appreciate you as a, as a friend, as a mentor in the space is really pushing the bounds of innovation, bringing functional medicine out to the masses, making it more accessible. Um, I know Dr. Hyman's excited to be an investor. I'm an investor too. We love what you guys are up to and we super appreciate you coming on the podcast and just breaking down this topic of acne, which can, I mean, we didn't even get into the whole aspect of like the confidence and the mental health that it plays into, but it's such an important thing and people are looking for real resources and solutions. So thank you for coming on the Broken Brain Podcast and educating our listeners with your vast amount of knowledge and information. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun as always. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.